Good morning. The scripture reading today is from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Thanks be, to God. be to God. Thank you, MB and, and Chantal and Crystal Lou. Uh, thank you, Evan and Susan, Samantha, for leading us in worship this morning. It is a balm to the soul, balm to the soul. Uh, let's begin. You know, uh, last week, uh, we entered into a, a mini section, if you will, in the current series, sermon series as we're leading up towards towards membership. And in this mini series, we've been hunkering down in, in these, uh, you know, 12 verses, I guess it is, uh, verses 9 through 21 uh, in chapter 12 of the book of Romans. And we've been hunkering down on them uh, to have a better understanding of what are the marks of the Christian life. Uh, in these passages, we see uh, qualities of character, of skills, of, of gifts, and all of these uh, are, are, and I'll say this, none of these are what actually make one a Christian, but all of these are what we find in somebody who's actually become a Christian. The marks of the Christian life are, are those qualities, those characters, those skills that the Spirit of God uh, uh, activates and makes uh, a reality in the life of a Christian. And so if you've been paying attention, then you'll know that in verses 9 through 14, when Paul talks about genuine love, he's saying that we as a community need to love each other without inconsistency, that we need to love each other without hypocrisy, and only in doing so do we love one another genuinely. But in uh, verses 14, you'll see that there's a little bit of a shift and Paul begins to talk about how a Christian not just loves inwardly towards his brothers and sisters in the faith, but how he loves outwardly. And the challenge here is that, that Paul says that you will tell the story of Jesus, not just in how you care for those who are easy to be cared for in some sense, but you, you'll know somebody is a Christian on how they respond to those who don't care much for them or don't care much for their faith, or for the one that they serve. What Paul's telling us here is that following Christ doesn't mean uh, 
mean consistently loving those who are consistently loving you. But what it means is that, well, there's nothing more remarkable, you might say, than being able to find, uh, there's nothing more remarkable, you might say, than loving those who are actually determined to persecute you. There's nothing more remarkable than to love our enemies with the same love that God has shown us. And it's a bold statement, but Christians, I think you can say, the scriptures teach us that Christians are sent into the world to love and care, not just for those who share their faith, but they're sent into the world to love and care for those who are cruel to them, who condemn them because of their faith. Now, Paul teaches in this particular passage what Jesus always taught, that in no uncertain terms, Christians are to bless those who persecute you. Christians are called to bless and not curse. And so today, I just want to take, take the uh, morning, uh, just the next couple of minutes, and let's just focus on that one verse. In all of this passage, let's just focus on this one verse. Uh, what does it mean uh, to bless those who persecute, bless and not curse? So let's do that by asking three questions, and the three questions are pretty basic. How, what, and where? How do we respond to persecution? What does it mean to bless those who persecute us? And where do we get the motivation to do just that? So how do we respond to persecution? What does it mean to bless those who persecute us? And where, where do we get the motivation to do that? So first, how do we respond to persecution? Um, you know, in my own experience, I think there's probably no greater there's there's no greater influence than than these two particular people when it comes to uh, the, answering the question, how do you respond to persecution? In my generation and generation perhaps before me, uh, and I think in subsequent generations, both Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X, I think have had a profound influence on how we think about. Uh, injustice and how people, uh, how we treat people who persecute us, persecute us. Of course, here are uh, two great uh, American civil rights leaders, two American icons, uh, and of course, their response to how do you uh, handle or respond to persecution is very different. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, was not just Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he was the reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And so in many ways, he'd look at this passage and he'd say yes and amen to it. And you know uh, that he was most known, right? Not just for his oratory skills, but he was known for prayerfully practicing, organizing um, in response to persecution, what nonviolent peaceful protests. Now, Malcolm X, on the other hand, he believed that you, you addressed persecution uh, and when he was referring to uh, persecution, he was talking about racism. He was talking about systemic injustice towards uh, people of color. And Malcolm X would say, you address uh, this kind of persecution, uh, very famously, he says, by any means necessary. Now, what that meant for him, uh, I think has often been misconstrued, but uh, from what I understand it meant from him is that you seek to educate, you seek to legislate, you rebuild the family, uh, you do all kinds of things, but by any means necessary means is that sometimes violence is actually necessary. And I don't think he's saying it's the first thing you go to, but I think he's saying it always has to be on the table. 
And so there you have very, two very different perspectives. One perspective, which is turn the other cheek. The other is fight fire with fire, right? One is to love your enemies in the face of persecution. And the other is to say um, uh, that you respond to persecution in any way that, uh, that thwarts it, that puts it down, including by violent means, if necessary. And I would just say that, you know, in my generation and for me personally, when I have experienced, uh, you know, I'll say persecution, and that can be really light, subtle forms of persecution, or when I've seen persecution out in the world, my response tends to vacillate between those two extremes or those two perspectives. You know, sometimes I think we have to turn the other cheek and sometimes based on the proximity, my proximity to that experience, based on the severity of that experience, maybe just even my mood. I can also say we should handle that by any means necessary. So within my own soul, within my own thoughts, my heart, head, my heart, there's a, a great deal of confusion, but I, I don't think I'm alone. I think many of us struggle with this, uh, particularly if you're of my generation, because these, these two themes were so pervasive, are so pervasive in the culture. And so oftentimes when we talk about responding to persecution, we do so in ways that are inconsistent. We do so in ways that, are, that bring about confusion. There's incoherence between you know, what I ultimately want and, and the means by which uh, we want to get there. Um, so I think not just me personally, but as a nation, we're, we're often confused. And, and I think obviously when we look at a, a, the nation that we're in, we're clearly divided because we don't know how to respond. <laughs> we don't know how to respond when we feel that um, we're under siege, when we feel threatened. We don't know how to respond when we sense that we're, we're being targeted. We're torn as a nation. Should we turn the other cheek or should we fight fire with fire? And of course, uh, that's the end of looking at, at these two figures because the, the, you know, the talk is not about analyzing uh, MLK or, or Malcolm X, but really uh, addressing that we all feel this kind of this polarization when it comes to this really important issue, significant issue. And of course, they're responding to persecution of what? They're being, they're being persecuted. They're responding to persecution based on their skin color, right? But Paul is responding uh, to a different kind of persecution. Paul is responding to the persecution that comes when one aligns, aligns themselves with the authority, with the character, with the teaching of Jesus. He's saying to the church of Rome, he's saying to every church that ever existed, and he's saying it with emphasis, <laughs> uh, but he's not just saying it with emphasis, he's also applying a tremendous deal of insight, uh, a tremendous amount of understanding. He's saying to you, I know what you're facing. You're facing persecution. I know that you're being targeted, but no matter how subtle that persecution is, or how violent that persecution becomes. Hear me, he's saying, bless. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them, don't curse them. And of course, Paul is simply reiterating Jesus, isn't he? In Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Jesus' uh, inaugural address, Jesus says this, he says, you've heard it, 
You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Uh, the apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2, he says, for you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. And in parentheses, and when you're persecuted, and just like when he was persecuted, well, he says, you should follow in his, in his steps. He did not commit sin, uh, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was suffering, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. So was Jesus a masochist? No. Was Jesus a madman? No. Was he an agitator for the sake of just being an agitator? No. Jesus Christ was aligned with the authority, the character, the teachings of the triune God, and because of that, he honored God by his life. He bent his life uh, to honor his Father. He bent his life in order to bless those who persecuted him. See, he lived in the world, but he was not of the world. And therefore, because his life was oriented around the authority, the character, the scriptures, he came upon persecution. That's the cause and the effect. Insofar as you're obedient to God in this world, you will be persecuted. Persecution came to him and he responded with what? He responded with blessing. So how do Christians respond to persecution? We do it through blessing. Now, let me just push us a little bit here. We live in the West, uh, in America, in New York City, uh, and yet, and which means we live a pretty comfortable life. Uh, there are other areas of the world that, that experience the kind of persecution that the first century church experienced. Uh, we read about them all the time. Uh, you don't have to look very hard to find them, of communities, of churches, of individuals who are persecuted, uh, who lose their lives because they refuse to reject Christ. And in that... Uh, uh, because they refuse to uh, um, take up arms, right? And so they're persecuted. But I want to push this a little bit here, because I think in the next 20 to 30 years, there's a good chance that Christians in America are going to experience uh, degrees of persecution that we've never experienced before. Uh, that we live in a culture that is shifting radically. And it's a culture that doesn't actually want people uh, or Christians to uh, believe the things that they believe, to bend their lives to the authority, to the character, to the, to the truth that we find in the scriptures. And if you don't believe me um, when I say that maybe persecution in greater degrees is coming, then believe Tim Keller. Uh, Tim recently in a, in a uh, podcast, he said this, you know, post-Christian culture is based on liberation from Christianity. Modern secular people believe that the thing we need to be saved from is the very idea that we need to be saved. The thing we need redemption from is the idea that we need redemption. The only sin is to tell people they sin. 
which means the only way to, f- to be free is to liberate yourself from Christianity, which means that our modern secular culture isn't just post-Christian. In some ways, it's very Christian because it has all the same Christian values, just uh, utilizing them without God, but it moves to change Christians. It has to target us. We're the problem. Modern secularism is trying to convert us into being secularists, and it's extremely important that we convert. So uh, Christians in America, Christians in New York are probably going to experience greater degrees of persecution uh, in the coming years, maybe for the rest of my life. And I don't share that in order to strike fear, but I share that so that we can be clear on the question. In times past, uh, one of the primary declarations of the gospel, one of the primary confirmations that the gospel is true, is how you, how you and I respond to persecution. You feel like you're not a great evangelist? In the face of persecution, bless others. Don't curse them. And you will not only continue the argument that is your life and apologetic for the faith, but you'll confirm what before the face of those around you that what you believe is true. And you'll bless them. So bless and do not curse. Are you ready? Second, what does it mean to bless those who persecute you? Blessings and curses in the Bible are as much about potentialities as they are about in-the-moment affirmations or rejections. Let me say that again. Blessings in the Bible are as much about potentialities as they are about in-the-moment affirmations or rejections. So an aspect of giving a blessing is in in, in many ways, a prayerful projection for what? For ongoing good. That's called redemption. Curses are just the opposite, right? Curses are not, are not only just come with an initial sting of condemnation and rejection, but what makes a curse a curse is, is the prevalence, the burden, that that condemnation, that judgment will be with you all the days of your life and beyond. So blessings and curses come with potentialities uh, of either good or, or ill, either blessings or rejections. So to bless those who persecute you means that you pray, that you work for, ongoing, for the ongoing potentialities of good in the lives of your enemies, in the lives of those who persecute you. To bless is to con- continue to live as a witness for Christ in the face of persecution. Why? Because of Christ. So you do that in order to actually bolster your argument. You bless in order to bolster your argument. And how do you bless? You pray and you plan for that person's redemption. Now, of course, it's not an easy teaching to live out. It was, it's not even an easy teaching to hear. And that's why Jesus says in in the Sermon on the Plain from from Luke 6, he says, but I say to you who can listen, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. And if anyone takes your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks you. And from one who takes your things, Don't ask for them back just as you want others to do for you. Do the same for them. What is he saying? 
are you preparing? Are you thinking through how you're going to respond when somebody comes against you? Have you thought about particular instances in your life so that you are not just sort of giving some sort of principle for living in the moment, but you're actually working, praying for that in your in the way you respond to persecution, they see something different. They see the, the maxims, the, uh, the, the, um, the doctrine, the truth that you proclaim that is, that is transcendent from on high, that you bend your life around, that they see in the way that you handle persecution, that you're playing a different game, that this is true. And you're willing to give your life for it. You're willing to give your shirt for it. You're willing to give your cheek for it. You're not holding anything back. You're all in. Right? So what does it mean to bless? What does that look like? It means to plan, prayerfully plan for the redemption of those who persecute you. Now, why would you do that? Let me just give you three reasons. One, you demonstrate obedience right? In order to be obedient, you know, Christians, uh, people will put themselves in position to be persecuted because they're being obedient. But let me, let me just offer this, you know, obedience seems just sort of like obeying a rule. But let me offer that God has set the terms on how to love us as rebels. And so we have to allow him, even though we find ourselves in positions that we don't want to be in. We have to allow him to set the terms for the occasions on how you and I can be utilized as conduits, as vessels, and as ambassadors, as embodiments of his redemptive plan. And so in the face of persecution, one would just to simply demonstrate obedience, obedience to the authority and character and teachings of Jesus. Second, it just simply provides a, a witness Right, that we're not waffling <laughs> on whether we are to, uh, you know, fight persecution by any means necessary or by turning the other cheek. Christians will bring clarity. You'll bring clarity to what you actually believe uh, in times of distress when you bless and you don't curse. You know, Martin Luther King Jr., I was reading a sermon on his... Um, in preparation for this talk. And he says exactly that. He says, you know, to, to love your enemies is not a game. It's serious business. And we need to, uh, not just in words, not just in preaching, not just in writing uh, eloquent speech, but we need to, with our very lives, be willing to lay them down so they see that this is serious business. It's not a game. Third, we need to lean into hope. You know, those are sort of, I mean, there's so many reasons why that we're called to love those who persecute us. But from a, I'll say from a, a redemptive primary place, we Christians want to bless those who persecute us because we realize from firsthand experience that no person is outside God's ability to rescue and redeem. We realize from firsthand experience that anybody can be saved, to use Christian terms, right? That everybody, uh, that anybody, even our enemy, 
can be turned for the purposes of God. And nobody knew that, of course, better than the Apostle Paul, who was a persecutor of the church. How, how passionate must he have been to proclaim this message, bless, do not curse, bless, you've blessed me by not cursing me. Continue to do that to other persecutors. And so we lean into hope. We're not just obedient. We're not just recognizing our witness. We're leaning into hope because we know that anybody can be redeemed. Anybody can be rescued because we, we, we know in our own lives the providence of God, how God has you, you in that particular time, in that particular place for a reason. We know that not only heaven awaits, but hell is real. And the Christian, because his love for God is all of a sudden become so palpable, so clear. God is so beautiful. Heaven is so desirable. We also understand that hell, that we don't want anybody to be in hell. That we don't desire anyone to ever be there. We bless. We don't curse that upon people. So, the hallmark of the Christian life is that in every circumstance, even those that we do not desire to be in, every circumstance is an opportunity towards redemption, even the most painful ones. Um, one example is from the widow of uh, Nassim Fahim. And Nassim Fahim was a guard at St. Mark's Cathedral in Alexandria, Egypt. And uh, a couple of years ago, there was a suicide bomber who blew himself up outside the cathedral. And his wife, and, uh, his wife was interviewed on, on national television. And she said this, she said, I asked the Lord to forgive them and let them try to think. If they think, they will know that we didn't do anything wrong to them. May God forgive you. And we also forgive you. Believe me, I forgive you. Now, I don't know uh, that her persecutors actually heard this, this desire for redemption, this desire that her persecutors would understand more truly, more, more fully, why they lived the way they lived, why they loved the way they, they loved. So I don't know if they actually heard, but an anchorman who was sitting in the studio heard this woman um, you know, on location sharing this to this news reporter. And he just stood there with his jaw on the table. He was stunned. And there was, you know, the worst thing that could happen on television, right? There was dead air because he was utterly captivated by the way that she handled persecution. He saw one who was hated because she was aligned with the authority and character and the teachings of Christ. And just like him, he watched her love people in return. And then he went off script and he just started to exhort his nation who was experiencing a, a tremendous amount of division. And he said this, he says, Egyptian Christians are made of steel. Egyptian Christians for hundreds of years are bearing many atrocities and disasters. The Egyptian Christian deeply loves his country and bears everything for the sake of this country. How great is the amount of forgiveness that you have. He says, if your enemy knew how much forgiveness you have, they would never believe it. I could never say what she has said. These people have so much forgiveness. These people are made from a different substance. 
And I think that's really on to something. <laughs> By God's grace, Christians are transformed. They've been redeemed and in the face of persecution. They pray and they plan for redemption. Now, of course, where do you find these resources? You have to go to Calvary. You have to go to the cross. And you see that, that the planning of God throughout redemptive history has been not to give wrath, but to receive it. You know, there's a place, um, let me find it here. There's a place in Hosea 11. In Hosea 11, um, the, uh, the passage says this, describing uh, his own heart. He says, my heart recoils within me. This is speaking for God. My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. As his heart recoils within him, his compassion grows warm and tender. And he says, I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man. The Holy One is in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. I will not come in wrath, God says, though my heart recoils within me. Well, how does he come? He comes as a shepherd. He comes as a carpenter. He comes as a man in the flesh. He comes as one who's obedient to God, who bends his life to God. And because he's obedient to God, he bends his life to God. He goes to the cross. And in the book of, in the, in the scriptures, going to the cross was taking on a curse. Jesus Christ became a curse by taking on himself the wrath of God so that you and I could actually experience the progressive, redemptive purposes of God's love and care so that we might not just experience his goodness but be made good too, so that we might be, become a different substance. And the greatest desire for the Christian is to share that experience with others. And I will say, if it's true that in the next 20 to 30 years, we're going to experience more and more persecution, perhaps the primary dialogue that you're going to be in is going to be uh, interacting with persecutors, persecutors, interacting with enemies. And not, not that there's ever a checkmate in these things, but to be able to show by your life that you mean business, that this isn't a game, that your heart's desire is to show how God doesn't come in wrath. He comes in grace so that he can bless. All of the Bible's teaching this. All of our lives should be demonstrating this. Storefront church is established for this reason and this reason only so that we might demonstrate the grace of God to the world as we've experienced the grace of God in the world. If we're not about doing that, if we're not about being sent, not just in general to the neighborhood, but to particular people, people that we have affinity for and people that who actually we have con conflict with, if we are not taking this redemptive plan, the redemptive prayerfulness to not just a neighborhood, to, but, but to specific people in this neighborhood. 
and we can do better. Let's do better. Let's think redemptively. Let's embody what God has given to us in Jesus and bless those who persecute us. Bless, Paul says, don't curse. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, why would we do this if you weren't true? Why would we sacrifice everything that we've gained in this world, been uh, accrued in this world? Why would we put our lives at risk? Why would we enter into conflict, uh, suffer, if you weren't the God of all creation, the maker of our soul, if you weren't real? Why would we do any of this if Jesus really didn't come to earth die on a cross, be raised again, uh, sits at your right hand. And that way we can look to him and rejoice and have hope, even for those uh, who are dead set against us. Lord, we give you thanks that we no longer are, that though we once were persecutors in our hearts of you, uh, that we no longer of that same mindset. Uh, Lord, would you give us all that we need to be vessels, ambassadors, conduits of your love without uh, hypocrisy or contradiction. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.